This is part 11 of why things go wrong and how to put them right. How God can help when you're haunted by fear. So we just... I better not move anything. So we just sang. Apparently we all agreed. So when we see you, all our fears are washed away. Did we not? We all sang that? Is that true? <laughs> yeah, I think it's important that the stuff we say in church is actually fairly accurate, don't you? All our fears are washed away. And I would say that that's true of many of them. I would say it's not true of all of them. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there are certain kinds of... In fact, there are certain fears that only the presence and lordship of Jesus will remove. We're going to look at one of them very specifically. One fear that only the presence and lordship of Jesus will remove. A very debilitating fear. But there are other kinds of fears as well. And so the study, I think, is relevant. It's timely. Uh, Like worry, fear is one of those responses to uh, external circumstances that doesn't feel like a choice. Right? Fear is one of those responses to outward circumstances that, like worry, doesn't feel like a choice. In fact, and I'll get into this on the 21st, Uh, on that Sunday morning when we look at Fifty Shades of Gender. There are all sorts of things that seem to be going on in our hearts that we don't think of as choices at all. Usually, things prompted by inward desire will rarely feel like a choice. That doesn't mean they aren't choices. It means we don't perceive them as being choices. We think of them as something different. I think fear is in that category. It's like worry. And yet, God's Word does speak specifically about fear. And it usually puts the issue of our fear within our reach. It's frequently tied in, as you'll see in some of the texts, it's tied in with our will and with our choice. So the principles of dealing with fear are very much like those of dealing with with worry. Here's what I think Christians need to do. One, determine the source of your fear. It's it's dying out now. It still holds true in some pockets of particularly the charismatic wing of the church. I consider us to be a Pentecostal church rather than a charismatic church. I've done whole studies on why I don't think those two are the same and there are some important differences. But... There are some pockets still in the charismatic wing of the church where, where things like fear, just as an example, are thought of as always issues of spiritual warfare and rather demonic in nature. And so Christians who, who fellowship with those people and move in those circles will really rarely talk to you about being afraid. They will talk to you about having a spirit of fear. And it's more than just lingo when they say that. 
What they mean is fear, all fear, is rooted in some kind of a demonic presence in the life and needs to be uh, cast out and needs to be uh, deliverance brought about in our heart. I'm not saying that never, ever happens. That's not my point. My point is, generally, I don't think that's the way the Scripture approaches the subject of fear. Like all problems, fear must be traced to its source. We studied this. I know it's a long time ago, and you probably couldn't immediately call it to remembrance, but they're all online, notes and the video and everything else. But in the very first lesson in this series, before you can solve a problem, you have to biblically identify and define the problem. Remember I gave the illustration on the very first message in this series. I told you the story about the, the, uh, the drunk on the street corner who had lost $5. Anybody remember the story? And so everybody, he calls his buddies over, and they're all under the lamp, and they're looking, and they're looking, and they're trying to find the drunk's $5, and he's brokenhearted. He says, I don't understand it. And all these people are coming around, and they're saying, you know, we're, there's, there's 20 of us here. Surely, if this, like, we ought to be able to find this. Are you sure this is where you lost it? And the fellow said, well, no, I lost it over there by the alley. That's where I dropped it. He said, well, why are you looking here? He says, well, the light's so much better. <laughs> you, you, you have to know what you're looking for. You have to define what the problem is. Not all fears are the same. Remember I said at the beginning, some of the fears will be washed away by the blood of Jesus. Some won't be and shouldn't be. There are fears that are a normal part of healthy living in this world. You stand on the corner, you see it's winter, cars skidding out of control, coming at you, and you naturally jump out of the way. And the reason you jump so quickly is fear. And that's a wonderful fear. It's a life-preserving fear. This is the same fear that keeps you from skating on thin ice, putting your hand on a hot burner. Those kinds of fears, we don't think about it this way. Those kinds of fears are God-given, a God-given way of protecting us from danger reflexively because in situations like that, you don't have time to analyze and think the situation through. And so very graciously, God enables you almost to react before you have a chance to think. Those are good fears. Good fears. Secondly, there are abnormal fears and phobias. It would work like this. I once saw a car skidding out of control. And the fear that can become a bondage is the kind of fear that says every car that's coming down the street is going to skid out of control and it's going to come right at me. You'd be paranoid too if every car was coming at you. I'm never going to leave the house because cars, all of them, they're going to skid out of control and they're going to hit me. That's a fear gone sour. That's a fear gone rabid. That's a fear that becomes bondage-producing. No room is made, no provision is made for the keeping power and protection of God. The fear becomes the lens through which 
all the events of life are viewed. Cars skidding out of control are no longer the problem. The fear of cars skidding out of control is the problem. Everybody see the difference there? Something's happened with that fear. Three, there are lots of fears that can be overcome with more knowledge and experience. I can still remember uh, when I was a kid, my mom would always come up and uh, she would tuck us in. Still remember that. Four boys, two in one bedroom, two in the other bedroom. Mom came to tuck us in, and if we were bad, Dad came up to deal with the wrath of God. (laughs) And in our house, that's the way it was. We loved it when Mom came up, not so much when Dad came up. And I was, was, as a little kid, I was deathly afraid of the dark. Deathly afraid of the dark. I would have to have the hall light on, or a night light, or something, but I just would not go to sleep if it was pitch dark. Now I like it when it's dark, when I go to bed. I sleep better in the dark. What happened was, what happened was, I gradually learned that there's nothing especially dangerous about darkness in itself. It's a fear that you overcome as you face the common fact of darkness and you learn how to cope with it. When I moved from a three-wheel trike to a two-wheel bike, I was deathly afraid to ride the bicycle. I was afraid when I learned to drive a car. Christians in a church like this, they're afraid to help out with VBS. Christians in a church like this, they're afraid to teach a Sunday school class. Christians in a church like this, tonight, there are people in this room and you're afraid because you know full well goofy Pastor Don is going to have you break up into prayer groups later on and you're going to maybe have to lead out in prayer and that scares you to death. Maybe you're afraid of singing in the choir. And it's the same. There are these kinds of fears that can be overcome. They're overcome as you learn more, as you experience more, as you step out and trust the Lord. Don't be ruled by those fears. So there are fears that can be overcome. More understanding, more knowledge, more experience. Fourth, There are fears that are caused by sin and a guilty conscience. Nothing produces a life ruled by fear like wickedness. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Here's my understanding of the situation. The devil tempts us in all sorts of ways and invites sinful participation in our thoughts and in our actions. And, and the reason temptation is successful is because, it, like a magician with a sleight of hand, what he does is he comes to people like me and people like you and he shows you 
the kind of pleasure that sin can produce. And I don't just mean some illicit, you know, sexual affair. Just, just the, the security, the satisfaction, the, the joy of getting your own way, the delight in living life on your terms, the thrill of success, the kind of satisfaction that comes with, with massive uh, material accumulation. And if you only had this, and if you only had this. And so the devil works behind the scenes in every temptation to show you the pleasure that, that inordinate, idolatrous desires will bring. He never comes and shows you the fear that those things produce. And, and so the person who lives, the person who lives for... Uh, the thrill of, of power and position is always going to be threatened that there will be someone else more powerful. There will be someone with more say. And the person that lives for material accusi- acquisition is, is always faced with the plain reality that in this world those, those, those things slip away as quickly as they can come in. And for sure, when you die, you leave everything behind. And that there is no security in those things. See, if you, if you root your life in these things, all you're shown is the pleasure they will bring. What you're never shown is, every one of them is a fear generator in a certain way, in a certain form. Sin always produces fear. It sucks the peace out of life. The main point from that verse from Proverbs, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The main point of that verse is that sin produces a fear that isn't the result of any outside foreign cause. No one's chasing, the writer says. It's a fear not born of outward circumstance. Sin produces self-induced fear. Sin, sinful desires... Sin acted out, sin craved in the heart. It, it, it produces fear like a swamp breeds mosquitoes. That's because, however he labors to avoid it, a man in committing sin does so against this, there's this inborn awareness of moral accountability and judgment. Sin is ultimately a case of people working against the way they were designed and against the accountability they know they will have before God. Now, there's a catch-22 here. The catch-22 is these heart-revealing fears will eventually go away. The, the, the inward kind of moral fear will evaporate as the, as the moral compass kind of rots and deteriorates when when people persist in sin over a long period of time, the fear goes away. But that's a worse condition, not a better one. That's one of the fears. When we see him, all our fears are washed away. Maybe not all of them. That one for sure. That one for sure. There's also the fear of man. It's the fifth one. It's used very specifically by the devil to keep people from properly pursuing righteousness. 
this is probably the most spiritually relevant fear dealt with in this study. It's, it's, it's something that's used more than anything else to Im- impede the influence of the Holy Spirit in God's children. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Okay? So, so what we're meant to do, when I read a verse like that, I stop, and if I were underlining, I'd say there's, there, there are two subjects in that sentence. The fear of man, right? And then trusting in the Lord. And so I'm assuming that what the writer is saying is there is this fear of man that is such, it's a danger, but it's a subtle one. It's like a snare, he says, lays a snare. You, you don't really see it. There's nothing big on the surface. It's, it's, it's just that we are all born with this desire to look good and to be accepted by the culture in which we live. It's called pride. We are designed that way. And the fall has twisted it in a, in, a, in a bad direction. It's taking what should have been a good desire in the community, in the body of Christ, and it's bent out of shape so that in the fallen culture around us, dominated by the spirit of the age, we still like to fall in line with the pack. All of us. I mean, just think about it. What is it that makes the fashion industry such a success? And there's only one answer to that question. What makes the fashion industry immensely successful is we want to be in style. In style means this, this, is, this, is, what, this is what we're doing this year with, with lapels or jackets or dresses or hats. Or this, this, you have to do this. Why? Well, look. What do you want? To stand out? And if they charge you three times more for jeans that are already ripped up? Can you, I've often thought, if I sat down with my grandfather and just said, come on with me into this store. He came over here from Poland, okay, with $2. And, and, if, and if I took him into a store and I said, now, <clears throat> you can buy these jeans for $49.95, Or, here's what people do. You can get these ones that are all shredded and ripped up. They're $129.50. And and he would have looked at me and said, he would have said, you know what? The next thing you're going to be telling me is people are going to buy and pay money for bottles of water. You know? Like... (laughs) But what makes... What makes that work is this is what's in. Do you want to be out? No, I, I don't want to be out. I, we have to be in. There's a guy in Paris who said, we have to wear this. That's, that's just one silly example. It's not as dangerous as some examples of the fear of man and what happens. And so there's the danger, the fear of man. The other thing talked about in that sense, but he who trusts in the Lord. So, so the trust 
being advocated by the writer is, is the trust that, that tilting our will in God's direction and giving up the cherishing of our culture's praise will ultimately bring a satisfaction and a safety. Whoever trusts in the Lord is what? Safe. Safe. Safe from what? Safe from, safe from gullibility. Safe from, what if, what, if, what if following Jesus means some of my friends will think less of me? And they will. If you're a university student, absolutely they will. And so will most of the teachers in your classes. The safety that is being talked about, the safety that's being talked about is your life, your life will be safe from falling away from the Lord. Your life will be safe from grand assumed sins. Your life will be taken in a better direction than the culture around you. So there's that fear, the fear of man, but he who trusts in the Lord. It's different terminology, but Jesus said the very same thing. John 5, 44. How how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Glory from one another is, look at at that. Isn't he wonderful? How cool. I like being with him. That's the glory that our world gives. Recognition. Praise. Approval. Acceptance. Acceptance admiration how can you but but jesus says yeah but but how how can you believe how can you walk with me how can you receive life from me you seek glory from one another you don't seek the glory that comes from god that is i know this puts me out of step with this group but it brings gladness to father god's heart So Jesus describes this fear of man. That's another one. That's another one. The fear of man. The fear of man is one of those fears that when you see Jesus in all of his glory, it can wash away. It's like that fear right before. Fear is caused by sin and a guilty conscience. Fear of man is the most common cause of spiritual indecisiveness. It's the kind of fear that splits my life up trying to serve two masters. It's, it's the fear that keeps people from living whole lives in the truest sense. And make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. This whole world is geared, is geared to playing up this fear against the will of God for people's lives. Now, what you can see from this quick overview, five fears, is not all fears should be dealt with in the same way. Not all fears are matters for spiritual deliverance. Know the source of your fear. Each needs to be dealt with in a proper scriptural manner. Okay, point number two. Jesus told his disciples that under normal conditions, they were able to control and displace their fears. 
there might be some people who, who emotionally just, just uh, are in need of medical help and treatment. I get that. I'm talking about under normal conditions. Under normal conditions, there's a scriptural means of dealing with most fears. John 14, 27, Jesus is the speaker and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Read the rest of it with me. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let. Do you see the word let? It's a word that implies some measure of control. Don't let this happen. Don't allow this. And it's addressed to the human will. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And those words are coming from a teacher who knew the difference between the things we can change and the things we can't. This is the same Jesus that said, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature? Right? So it's not like, my point is, it's not like Jesus didn't know there are some things we can't do. He does know there are things we can't do. And it's this Jesus that says, let not your heart be afraid. So it's with full knowledge that he addresses this to our wills. What can we do with our fears? This won't take very long. First, don't punish yourself for fears that can be overcome with understanding and practice. We covered that in the first point in tonight's study. It's normal to fear things. It's right to fear other things. And the fear of new challenges... That can be overcome with practice and with experience. Don't let the devil sort of throw mud in your face and make you question your faith because there are certain things that make you feel uneasy, a new challenge. Those are normal human reactions and they aren't sinful in themselves as long as you don't let them rule you. Secondly, B, fill up your life with three antidotes to fear. I want to talk about these. The Word of God, prayer, and the encouragement of the saints. So now, remember where we are. What can we do with our fears? A, don't punish yourself for fears that are normal and can be overcome. B, fill up your life with three antidotes to fear. So it's under this point B that I'm going to give you three things. The Word of God, prayer, and the encouragement of the saints. The Word of God. Psalm 56, 10 and 11 says, In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, now we're going to talk about fear, I shall not be, what? Afraid. What can man do to me? You're all over on the other side of the page. There's something in that text, Psalm 56, 10, and 11. In God whose word I praise, the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's, it's, it's It's as though the psalmist recognizes it's very difficult for any of us. I say it this way, it's very difficult for any of us just to exercise faith in God generally. I mean, we all, I think, find it hard to conjure up an image of an invisible God whom we've never seen. We don't question his greatness, his might, 
his creative ability, but who in the world can, who in the world can say what, what God looks like? like the little kid in his art class, and he's drawing, and the teacher comes by and says, what are you drawing? And he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, well, don't you know that no one knows what God looks like? And he said, that's because no one's seen my picture yet. It is hard for us to picture God. We love God, we worship God, we praise God. Who can, who can, but who can imagine him? And so, the psalmist very wisely talks about whose word, God whose word I praise, the Lord whose word I praise. That, that's where I anchor my trust, the visible Provable, accessible, readable word of God. Faith comes from knowing and relying on God's promises. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here's the key application point. There are thousands of Christians who simply don't know what God has promised and provided in the face of whatever it is they fear because they don't have enough of God's word in their heart and in their mind. Here's the principle. It's not in your notes. Biblical ignorance will always result in a fearful life. Okay? Biblical ignorance will always result in a fearful life. So I said the word of God. Secondly, Prayer, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. So now we're into the fear thing, okay? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So it's not just, it's not something that's, totally processable rationally, something God plants in the mind and in the heart. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I like that phrase, guard your hearts and minds. It it, it seems to imply that there's this benefit of prayer in overcoming my fear, and the benefit will go beyond the exercise of my own mental strength and ability. there's, There's a garrison, a guard that God puts up around my heart and around my mind. Once I make the decision to pray, God maintains the impact of that prayer time in my mental state long after I get up from my knees. Okay? That's the beauty of it. I said there were three ingredients. The word of God, prayer. Third, the fellowship of the saints. Hebrews 3, 13 and 14 but exhort one another. Exhort one another. Exhort one another. See the people around you tonight? All around you. Each side, behind you, in front of you. They have as hard a time in this world as you do. 
And if, and if you could see, if every person came into this room tonight with a brown paper bag, and in that bag was all the issues and difficulties they were facing, some that they never talk about. So we all came into this room with a brown paper bag, okay? But they all look identical. There's no names on the bag. And we all just put our bags here at the front, okay? So everybody came up with a brown paper bag with, with what troubles you, what aches your heart, what brings fear into your life and worry and concern. And we all put them here at the front. And then I sent you back to your seats, and I said, now come up and get a bag. And you all came running up and you grabbed a bag and you went back to your seat. You would be thrilled to get your own back instead of somebody else's. So, so this, is, this is what we bring into God's house. Okay? This is what we bring into God's house. So everyone comes here tonight with the responsibility not just of receiving something. I hope you do. But before you leave this place, according to God's word, here's why you came here. Somebody else needs you. Somebody else needs you to encourage them. Do you do that every Sunday? I've been where you are. I'm going through what you're going through. We'll go into little prayer groups, and someone's going to share, for sure. Someone's going to share about an unsaved loved one. And maybe you're in a position to say, me too. Me too. And you know what? Surprise, surprise, they came back to Jesus after 22 years. And let me encourage you, this can work for you. And someone has a bad diagnosis from a doctor, and you can say, so did I. And God's very faithful. And I can help just encourage your heart with my testimony of what God's done. In other words... Whether or not other people leave this room tonight afraid of life is your problem. It's your issue to lift them up and to help them and to encourage them. Exhort one another. How often? <clears throat> well, let's start with every day. I know that's because the writer says, I know you won't do this every 30 minutes, but every day, find someone to exhort and encourage. Did you know that you being here encourages someone? I get that all the time. People come here Sunday night and they go, I can't believe you have a service Sunday night. Nobody else does. Look at all these people. What a blessing. And they're encouraged. All you did was park your car and walk through the door and you encouraged somebody. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You can fall into unbelief. People can get angry at God. People can question that God loves them. People can say Christianity doesn't work. Don't let that happen to people. That's what the writer is saying. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Or look at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. We're almost done, by the way. That's my way of encouraging you. <laughs> let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession. See? Confession of our hope. 
People need to hear about that. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Note the one another's. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It started a long time ago. But encouraging one another. See it again? All the more as you see the day drawing near, Jesus is coming back. And so hear the clear exhortation from the Spirit of God to encourage one another daily. Come to church faithfully. Come to church faithfully because you aren't strong enough and I'm not strong enough to hold fast the faith without wavering, without the ministry of others. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself. If no one's ever told you that, let me tell you that. You cannot follow Jesus by yourself. Finally, do the courageous thing. Well, I guess there's a couple more. Do the courageous thing in spite of your fears. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing what needs to be done in spite of your fear. I love this thing from Joshua 1, 6, 7, and 8. Be strong and courageous. So we know we're, we're dealing with the issue of fear. Courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Joshua is afraid. And it's interesting to me that there's not a commandment in there anywhere for Joshua to feel anything or not feel anything. Courage is just, courage is just going to be demonstrated in, here's what God says to do, do it. Just do it. In time, Joshua will learn in a deeper way that God will be with him. But that lesson wasn't learned until after Joshua just takes the instruction of the Lord it starts putting one foot in front of the other and following. Sometimes, all you can do with your fears is trust God and walk through them. Keep your heart clean. Keep your heart clean. That's D. E. Involve yourself in service to God and man. fascinating verse is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. Not a spirit of fear, power, love, self-control. The verse doesn't read right, does it? I would have thought it would say, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of courage. Wouldn't that make sense? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of courage. That's what would make sense. But this is a very wise, wise book. Fear comes from concerns with self. What if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? 
What if this happens to me? What if that happens to me? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? And there's such wisdom here that if, if one, one of the strong antidotes to fear is to find loving avenues of service to others. Loving avenues of service to others. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love. Do you find your life riddled by fear? Let me tell you something you can do right away. If you find your life riddled by fear and worry, teach a Christian ed class. And it has more to do with your fear than you think. If you find your life riddled with worry, volunteer for VBS. Work in the nursery. Deliver some bread of life food baskets. And what you will find, what you will find is loving service to others. I know it's not the only thing. We talked about five things. Loving service to others is one of the powerful tools the Holy Spirit will use to lift your sights off of yourself and to help you see how God can use you in blessing and encouraging and ministering to others. Let's pray.